The Rewatchables is presented by Universal Orlando Resort. You can dodge evil villains, defend the earth, face a fire-breathing dragon at Universal Studios Florida, enter the land of superheroes, beasts, and magical creatures at Universal's Islands of Adventure, and live the carefree island life at Universal's Volcano Bay, the first ever water theme park coming in 2020. An all-new live-action stunt show that will blur the lines between stage and cinema like nothing you've ever seen before. Plan your Universal Orlando vacation now at UniversalOrlando.com. And now, the rewatchables. You could be a leech. You know that? And it's boring. You could be quite boring. Talented Mr. Ripley coming up next. Thomas Ripley lived a solitary life until a wealthy man offered him an extraordinary opportunity. Did you ever conceive of going to Italy? I'd pay you to persuade my son to come home. Dickie Greenleaf? It's Tom. Tom Ripley. We were at Princeton together. How do you do? You're so white. Do you ever see a guy so white, March? You know, you should come and have lunch with us. Now, he's in a world he always dreamed of. And now that he has it... You could hardly expect this to go on forever, Tom. You've had a great run, though. What? He'll do anything to keep it. I always thought it would be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody. I don't believe a single word you've said. You're shivering, Marge. Can I hold you? Well, whatever you do, however terrible, however hurtful, nobody thinks that they're a bad person. All right. Amanda Dobbins is here. Sean Fennessy is here. I haven't done one with Amanda in a while. It's been a while for us. I know. It's nice to see you, Bill. It's great to see you as well. I, I was delighted to know that you liked this movie as much as I did. This, this is the most late 90s movie to me, to what you, me personally. What do you mean by that? It just uses all of these different people who feel all late 90s at like great points of their career all together. And it's a movie that shouldn't have worked. And I love it. And I've watched it a million times. That's, that's where I'm going to start things. I'm still getting over the fact that you didn't open this podcast with Tommy. No, 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 no. <laughs> Tommy. Tommy. No, you're right, though. I was looking at the, the cast, which is really one of the more decorated casts in the history of movies. And it was this whole, basically one generation of people who are now between the ages of like 45 and 52 or 53, just hitting that sweet spot of fame. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow right after her Oscar win, obviously Jude Law with the the role that kind of catapults him into stardom, Damon coming off of Goodwill Hunting, Philip Seymour Hoffman getting ready to become like the character actor of his generation, Kate Blanchett kind of out of nowhere, taking on what should have been a nothing part and making it something special and then becoming a pretty big movie star. Yeah. It's just a, it's just nice. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like the European Dazed and Confused, you know, <laughs> where it's like, oh yeah, all of these people coming together at this time makes it so perfect. Amanda was saying it reminded her of the 2012 Oklahoma City Thunder a little oh, bit. Oh yes, yeah, sure. Did. She was yeah. saying that before. She was thinking of the parallels. Is that the one with the hardened train? It was a year before that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, what's your favorite thing about this movie? I think this is my favorite Matt Damon performance. I don't think. I have said on an actual podcast that this is my favorite uh, Matt Damon performance. And I think pretty much per actor, you went through the cast, Sean. I think everyone is operating as high or at their highest level. 
But I think also for me, I saw this movie um, at an interesting time in my movie going career. I think it's kind of one of the first like really serious, like grown up movies that I saw. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that movies could be like this and that I could relate to them. And, you know, my relationship to it has changed over time, I think, because I maybe understand it a bit more now than I did at the age of 15. There are some undercurrents, especially Mm. the, you know, the sexual stuff that you don't really, I think you know what's going on, but it kind of deepens. But I'm a person, I think this is a great movie about movie watching, at least for me. I like things to be beautiful and shiny and charming And I I basically like everything that is the first half of this movie. And this movie delivers all of that and also reminds you um, how dangerous all of those things can be. It's kind of like an indictment every time. Yeah. It's it's very challenging, but I I love it. I I just think that it's basically two movies. The first half of the movie is this incredibly beautiful portrait of living life with wealth in Europe. You know, it's like this is this is truly easy living. And then the second half, which I don't, I don't know if it holds up as well to on the rewatch because the the first half is such a fun experience, and you feel like you're meeting Dicky and Marge every time, and you're kind of getting shotgunned into their world. And then the second half of the movie, especially once you know where you're going, it just feels like um, the panic starts to fall away from it a little bit, and it's not as fun. But the thing that stands out to me rewatching it is Damon is seems like he's having so much fun playing a guy like this, playing somebody who's so duplicitous and so smart and so so kind of evil. Like he's becoming evil in real time. I don't think he's ever had a part like this yeah. ever since. Something that he got to play that was not so – he usually plays like pretty decent, also hyper-intelligent, but like ultimately the good guy in his movies, even if he's Jason Bourne and killing a lot of terrorists, he's still like – he's our hero. And this is it, like as far from a hero as it, he's ever played. Yeah, you know – I remember when this movie was coming out, thinking it was going to be a bomb. Because it was, at least with Paltrow and Damon, they had already really succeeded, and now the knives were a little bit out for both of them, right? right? And it was like, okay, and then she's famously dating Ben Affleck, and she won the Oscar, and people were annoyed by her speech and the whole thing. And then Damon had just been on a good run. And you see, like, they're making this movie, and it's going to be set in the 50s, and you're like, oh, this is going to... (laughs) This is a mistake. And then it was the opposite. And I I think the thing that struck me is how you catch five people in this movie. Five, Damon, Paltrow, Hoffman, Jude Law, and Kate Blanchett. Blanchett, Five. You catch them at these perfect kind of time of their careers where you would have just bought stock in all of them. And if you had stock, you would have bought more. (laughs) And I think Wesley wrote about Paltrow, when was that? Like earlier this year, maybe? About how this career that she kind of could have had that it ended up not happening, but all the interesting work she did really all the way through maybe the early two thousands. And to me, there's like Marge, for example, not a character in the wrong hands could have been really bad. Mm-hmm. Like if that's like Jennifer Aniston playing Marge, it's going to be bad. And she brings so much depth to it. And I think with all of those actors, they did, they got the most out of those five parts. Yeah, I think Jennifer Aniston playing any part is bad. So that's definitely (laughs) true. Um, (laughs) It's true, though. And she, I was reading a bit about the book. I haven't read um, any of the Patricia Highsmith novels, Ripley novels. But I was just in reading about the novel. The Marge character was not very smart and not sort of very significant to the story in the way that she is here in Paltrow. Like, the movie kind of amplifies a lot of things that it seems like on the page 
were very surface and the movie is very much inside Ripley's head. Yeah. And it gives a lot more people a lot more to do, which makes this much more of an ensemble movie. It isn't just you're not alone with Matt Damon the whole time. Everybody ha- plays a really significant part, which is nice because they nailed the casting like as much as you can possibly nail the casting. Does it make it disappointed at all that Damon's career wasn't slightly more interesting just from a parts that he picked basis? Because I think he made a lot of different interesting movies and I think he has credit over Affleck for making better choices IMDb-wise for the course of his career. But I kind of wish he had gotten weirder a couple times. This is the weirdest he got, and it was great. And I wish he had taken two more super weird chances like this. I agree with that. I think when we, Sean and I, did a Matt Damon podcast a bit earlier this year, and there are a lot of roles that are are him trying to be weird and don't kind of work in the same way. A lot of his Soderbergh stuff, I think— is him experimenting, like Soderbergh loves to experiment, but... Like that movie Jerry was another one, remember? Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. him and yeah. Casey Affleck yeah. in the desert the with Gus Van Yeah, Yeah, that was weird, I guess. Mm-hmm. He's tried a lot of stuff, but I think that Talented Mr. Ribley is so great because it's him trying it and it works. You know, not all experiments work, and it, there's something, I think, about the intelligence of this character that Matt Damon is like a very smart guy, and that's not just because I've seen Goodwill Hunting, but yeah. there is, in all of his best performances... There is an intelligence and sometimes even a smart Alecness to what he's doing. And this movie allows him to do that as well. I think this movie also allows him to be, um, I mean, he's a very good looking guy and he is often playing against that. And, but he can, he can wear the suits and he undergoes the transformation. It, it, he doesn't pick these kind of restrained, smart, and to Sean's point, um, I don't know. Would we say that Ripley's evil? I mean, yes, he's evil, but I, that's a journey over the course of the movie. He's not the bad guy very often. True. I think he's played kind of buffoonish bad guys in the past. Like Syriana, he is just like a representation of like yeah. evil corporate America invading other countries. And in, in The Informant, he's just kind of like a dopey corporate guy who thinks he's going to get a once over on his boss. He doesn't play, you know, he's, it's interesting. He was supposed to play the Casey Affleck part in Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. And I think that would have been an interesting kind of part for him to take on because it's way more emotionally complex dynamic. That character obviously does something terrible, borderline unforgivable. And there's like the emotional crisis of that movie is different from something like Ripley. But I'd love to see him do more movies like that. Like in Ford versus Ferrari, he is just like heroic American avatar of ingenuity and winning. And he's great in it. And he's great in all of his movies like that. But it's, it's very down the middle. So he does from ninety seven ninety nine. He does Goodwill Hunting, Saving Private Ryan, Rounders, Dogma, and Talented Mister Ripley all in a row. Saving Private Ryan and Dogma were um, supporting parts, mm-hmm. but him playing Goodwill Hunting, Will Hunting, Mike McDee and Rounders, and then Talented Mister Ripley, basically in the span of eighteen months, pretty incredible range. Those are three characters that have nothing to do with each other, really. And the interesting thing about him doing it that moment in time, obviously Matt Damon was a big star and had won an Oscar for for writing Good Will Hunting, but we didn't have like the 20 years of association with Matt Damon that we now have. And yeah. so it was an exciting moment because you're like, oh my God, this guy can do everything. Right. And he is really, he was trying on all the different parts for size. I think Departed is kind of a variation of this too. It is. I thought he was really yeah, good in that is. movie. Like he does take yep. chances. This is the craziest chance I think he took, and in the theater 20 years ago, I remember thinking like, oh, wow, okay, so this is, could be potentially Paul Newman for this yeah. generation or whatever he's going to be. But now that we have some distance and it's been 20 years, it's first of all striking how much weight he lost for it. 
Mm-hmm. Is that in the research it said he lost 30 pounds because you wanted him to look, you know, pale, skinny, and pasty, basically. So he did this twice for two different movies in the 90s because he did it for Courage Under Fire, too. I was just going to say this isn't the first time Where he lost like 40 it. pounds for that movie. Mm-hmm. I don't want to distract us, but there is one shirtless scene when Kate Blanchett is looking at him. And I don't know if I would call him skinny or pasty in that particular scene. He's definitely pasty, but he's also cut. He's like yeah. really jacked. Well, I think he starts putting on more and more weight as the movie goes along, right? Yeah, I guess so what? in order to be more impressive. But even when yeah. he's on the beach— and he and they yeah, see him for the, the first speedo. time. It's like, oh, he's in pretty good shape, yeah. right? So maybe the thirties overrated. You think I, it was like twelve? <laughs> yeah, I just want to say I don't know how much <laughs> of that overstated it. it was. Yeah. <laughs> so he has that, and by the end of this, he is established now as one of the you know highest draft pick actors we have. Under I think he was under thirty still at this point. I think he's like one of the top five guys in the last thirty yeah. years in movies. It all seemed believable after this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not until after this movie it was like, who's going to have. What five actors are going to have the best careers over the next 20 years? And I think everyone picks him after Yeah, this. this movie is also kind of a tough sell, and it was a hit. Like, if yeah. you describe the plot, and if you think about the way that it ends, it's pretty dark and strange. And even though it is beautiful and gives you that look at Europe in this way, it's, like, it's pretty fucked up. Like, the, yes. the, the sociopathological stories of Patricia Highsmith are crazy and weird, and— but that's, that's why we like 1999 so much, and that's true. why we've done so many of these movies for this podcast and for Rewatchables 99. We never got to Fight Club this year, unfortunately, but it was one of the last years where everyone was taking huge fucking swings. Yeah. I think nowadays Matt Damon's wearing a cape. He comes out of Rounders, and they're like, put a fucking cape on. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be a plastic man. It's definitely true. I mean, I think it's also Anthony Minghella coming off of The English Patient has got a lot of capital. Yeah, and, and used is, it. This is clearly something he wanted to do and, and got it off the ground amazingly. I, it's it's, it's kind of shocking that a two-hour and 20-minute movie about um, a gay con man murderer it made $150 million. Like, that's pretty— Set that, in the 50s. That's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. Um, that, that, that is probably the best context for 99 out of anything. Gwyneth Paltrow, 1998 and 99 only. Mm-hmm. Sliding Doors, Great Expectations, A Perfect Murder, Hush, Shakespeare in Love, Talented Mr. Ripley. Cranking them out. That's my girl. You, Impressive. Where are, you, where are you guys at on Great Expectations? It's not the best. It's not the best. It's not the best of those. I definitely yeah. saw it in theaters as a devoted— I guess I was at Gwyneth Paltrow stand even in 98. I don't know. Stardom Young, I suppose. Saw in the theater. Yeah. It's okay. I like it's the Quaron. Ethan Hawke. It's Alfonso Cuaron. I have a I have a little history with Paltrow. You guys dated? No. Her <laughs> dad her dad created my favorite TV show ever, The White Shadow. Bruce. Yeah. Bruce Paltrow. So when his daughter became an actress, I was like, I'm all in, I have season tickets. And plus she was she was adorable. We were around the same age. You had season tickets just because her dad created a TV show? Yeah. I'm in on the family. I like the reasoning. Them. Yeah. Are are you also just in on like it's David Chase's show family as well? No. Or? I love the White Shadow the most. And his daughter became an actress. I'm like, I'm in. And then she turned out to be really good. I even saw Perfect Murder in the theater. I'm a fan of that movie. Perfect yeah. Murder holds it's up. Better well, than it people does, remember, I don't know if it holds up, but it's very fun and it's of its time. It's good. Does Gwyneth Paltrow have range? Or is she just, just, is it just that she is this sort of like elegant patrician woman in real life and also in all of the parts in which she excels? I think, so here's what I, what I liked about her other than the Bruce Paltrow thing. Because as, as somebody who went to prep school, she was that girl in prep school who always carried herself like an adult, even at age 15. It mm-hmm. just seemed classy and mm-hmm. like she had her shit together and was just, boy, if I dated her, that means I'm doing something well. And that was the vibe she had 
in basically her first five years of movies. She's always feels like she's above the material and carries herself in a way. Like Marge is a character that ultimately is like being embarrassed, right? Dickie's cheating all, all over the place with her. Then he's not calling her anymore. Mm-hmm. And desperate. she has this, she has this real dignity the whole time. She's never desperate about where is he and all that. She's always like true to herself and it's a really good character, but also like a really good performance where you believe the whole time she loves this guy. She doesn't believe the story. She doesn't trust Tom. And she's more and more suspicious of him. Her clothes start to change. Start wearing darker clothes. And she mm. kind of hits this dark side, but always maintains that that quality that I thought made her really special as an actress. Yeah, and you- that even in Bounce. Do you see Bounce? Yes. You watched that recently? I think <laughs> once a year on a podcast, you ask me, have you seen Bounce? Bounce is really good. <laughs> Sure, it's great. It's a, it's a good one. And it was one of her last good likable performances before we got too much backstory with her. And the off-movie person started to infringe on the actress. Uh, yeah. And this is she was that- a really good actress. And that was why I really liked that Wesley piece, because he's right. She was a really unique special actress. Yeah, and, and I feel like Damon never had baggage like that, you know? No. Like, he never—there is no, like, off-screen— We talked about this when we talked about him before. You, we don't, just don't know that much about him. He's really studious about making sure that he's not photographed. We fucked up once, though. Yeah. He dated Minnie Driver. Right. And they did Good Will Hunting, and it became a celebrity relationship. And I think after that, he's like, I'm out. I don't want any part of any of this. It's interesting. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow has always been kind of the opposite. She's had very famous boyfriends and husbands and is very very limelight-focused, which is certainly her right. Well, child actress and daughter of an actress. Right. So somebody who's used to being, knows she's going to be in the center of attention and could sing. Oh, yeah. made duets. That's when the wheels started to come off a tiny bit. I, I enjoy I mean, duets. You like duets. I love Country Strong. I mean, I just want to say that Gwyneth Paltrow was dating Brad Pitt in 1996. So we stand <laughs> a legend. True? Yes. Don't you remember? And they had the matching I, haircuts. I honestly think that that's possibly part of the reason that you were into her also. Because <laughs> it was a very early good celebrity couple. And they would show up on the red carpet and they looked like twins. I had huge crush on her. Yeah. I think always waiting to run into her bar in Boston, but I'm making my run. A it's bar happening. in Boston? Why <laughs> would she knows? be She's in the filming bar? a movie there or something? Make a run. <laughs> yeah. I'm still in. What's your what's your pickup line? I love the white shadow. Okay. <laughs> oh, that would be good. She your dad like meant a lot to me. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's, good conversation. That's very started. smart. She would yeah. probably say he meant a lot to me too. Yeah. That would be my guess. Like, man, what a guy that guy was. I don't think love I, that guy. I don't think I really got her until uh Royal Tenenbaums. The, mm. the the Royal Tenenbaums part, I think, actually makes a little bit more sense for the prep school girl archetype that you're describing, except the tragic version. The version that is, like, stiff-backed with great posture, perfect elocution. I, I, like, I don't relate to that girl. I don't, like, I'm not attracted to her. Well, I'm not you're interested Long in her. Long Island kid. You think yeah. you're better yeah, than me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, like, it's something kind of, like, tribal about it. And there's no, I don't, I don't cotton to that necessarily. But the, the Tenenbaums thing, I was kind of like, oh, you're tortured. You have a drug problem. You smoke too much. Like, you're flawed. I think also she's funny in Tenenbaums. Like, there, yeah, is, a, is. there is a comedic edge to that. And I think Gwyneth Paltrow actually is an um, underrated comedic actress. I agree. From Emma to Tenenbaums. I would say just underrated, period. I'm and, with and you. I, think I didn't it's know a, this was going to come a Gwyneth Paltrow podcast, no, I'm but a, I'm all here for it. Huge fan. And I actually feel like... Uh, it's a bummer that she didn't act more because I think she had a chance to be. She picked a really, lot of really great. She no, picked I know a she lot did. of bad movies, but um, I think I think the fame kind of a lot of stuff was going on, and she also became famous right during that first wave of the internet, and people lined up for her pretty quickly, and I think that probably affected her too. Then she started dating Chris Martin. Everybody, 
one of the most polarizing musicians she you had, could date. She had her Madonna phase. Yeah, she and everybody was annoyed by them as a couple. And then it, it just felt like it transferred over the how people reacted to her movies, which I don't think is totally fair. I always think it's interesting when someone wins a Best Actor or Best Actress Oscar really early in their career. Because the first thing that they do when that happens is they go out and they usually go do a movie to get a paycheck. She didn't really do that. You know, she kind of became a movie star with A Perfect Murder. Um, but, like, if you look at Ripley's, the first thing she does after Shakespeare, the intern duets bounce Tenenbaums. I guess Shallow Howl is probably well, the Shallow Howl is when people turned. Yeah. They were like, yeah. fuck her. Yeah. And, the, and they were turning the Farrelly brothers, too, and she got caught up in that. And right. then it was like, seems like she lost momentum after that. It was right when she started, probably right around when she started dating Chris Martin, too. And they got married, and she had kids, and she took some time away from acting as well. And then she got caught up, and she was in Iron Man. You know, she was very early in being on the in the Marvel thing. True. Even if she doesn't remember it. And then, <laughs> and then Goop starts in, it's 2008 or 2009. So I think she really, after Shallow Howl, just takes a turn. And then Kate Blanchett, this is the first, I would say, signature movie she'd been in. And in the research, the director basically extended her part because he loved her so much and just figured out more scenes for her to be in. And she's another one who's like the way she carries herself in this movie. It's funny. They're kind of on the same corner, her and Paltrow. And they're just perfectly cast for the 1950s mm -hmm. as these kind of debutantes. Um and she's great too. Really, really, really. Not what is she in five scenes? Yeah, hard. Maybe, maybe not even four. Yeah. On this rewatch, she was the person who really stood out to me, just because. And and as you noted, that character is really expanded. I think from the original Patricia yeah. Highsmith novel, and just the the insecurity and also the snobbery that she's just really subtly telegraphing, and she's like in a lot of ways a mirror image of Ripley. But yeah. it's you know you have to be paying attention, or at least I wasn't paying attention before. It's an amazing performance. She's one of those people who she wasn't there, and then all of a sudden she was. Like all of us, she shows up in Elizabeth in 1998, and you're like, I guess this person is a big time actress, and not a movie star exactly. I think I might have even said movie star, but she just becomes like um dependable in prestigious films all the time. And she's been in a lot of huge movies. She was in the Lord of the Rings movie. She was just in a Thor movie a couple of years ago. It's not that she doesn't make big movies, but like she just starts showing up in stuff like The Shipping News and Veronica Guerin and The Missing and the she's so good in The Aviator. Um, but her career is kind of funny. Like I don't, how do you define? We don't talk about actresses like her that much on this show. They don't usually come up. They don't. We don't usually talk about movies that actresses like her make all the time. Paltrow was different. Paltrow was like a a movie star. She was a very famous person who'd be on the cover of a tabloid. Kate Blanchett is actually closer to Damon. Like we don't know that much about her. She might even be a little bit boring, but she's consistently like she, you never walk out of a movie thinking like Kate Blanchett sucked. You know, that's it's true. She's got a very, very good stats. Yeah. To me, she's more of just like the quintessential theater actor. And it's like if she were British instead of Australian, we would just think of her in the way we think of all of the the British actors who show up in period pieces from time to time right, right. as a way to fuel like their theater companies that they keep on the side, which is actually what she does in Australia. Right. She's like Alan Rickman or yeah. something. Um, just do, doing great parts all the time, even if the movie is a little beneath her. I was going to say she's more like the Philip Seymour Hoffman a little bit. Like when, mm -hmm. she, when she she can pass through a movie for 15 minutes and own the scene she's in and, yes. and feel like she was one of the lead actors when she actually wasn't. Yeah. Kinda. She's like that in The Aviator. She, yeah, she well, she kind of takes it over though when she's yeah. in there. You know, she owns the movie completely, playing Catherine Hepburn. She does the same thing in a Wes Anderson movie in Life Aquatic. She like shows up, and you're like, oh my god, all eyes on her. I'm a huge fan. 
I'm also a huge fan of the next person we need to talk about, Jude Law. Oh, boy. Who, <laughs> after this movie, you're like, this guy's going to be one of the biggest stars in the world. It is the most charismatic. My wife, if I asked her to if to list like her five favorite parts slash performances of all time, this would be one of the five. She absolutely loves Dickie more than anything. So this is like, I think that's an unspoken truth that a lot of people agree with. I feel like if you did a list of characters from the last hundred years that you're just like, I just want to be around this character. I just want to watch them doing stuff on screen. He would be pretty high for anybody who's seen this movie. But- and that was the whole point of the character yes. was he had to be this tornado that people just want to get caught up in. And that's so hard to pull off as an actor. It is possibly like the most concentrated example of charisma and really charm in a movie that I can think of, of all time. And obviously there are like a lot of charming people in the movies, especially before, you know, 1960. That's kind of what those movies ran on. But there is something so like natural and also astonishingly like shiny about what he's doing. And it's in his body. I mean, obviously he can wear the clothes, the character and the lines are written in a certain way, but it's just kind of the way he, he moves. There's like when. And how people play off him. Like they just want to like. They don't want him to leave. Yeah, he has chemistry with, with everybody. It's just kind of a force field around him. Yeah. I, it's, it's astonishing. I, and he's so handsome in this movie. It's really, it, it's, I spent a whole podcast with Bill's wife and Julia Lemon talking about Jude Law. Um, but it's, I don't have words for it. It's really important. The amount of, the amount of equity he bought with the female viewership population from this movie, <laughs> he is, Almost immediately involved in a cheating scandal with his nanny. Yes. And it didn't end his career because pe- people were like, yeah, you know what? I still, you know, they're like grasping for straws trying to keep him around. But that whole scandal that he was involved with usually like ends people. Yes. Where people are like, that guy's a fucking asshole. Yes. Like Billy Crudup was another one when he when he dumped whatever her name is for Mary Claire Louise Danes. Parker, Mary Louise Parker for Claire Danes. Martin, for but- Claire Danes when she was like eight months pregnant. And people were like, whoa. Well- okay. That's terrible. But we've moved on from that we as well. We moved on, there's and a, now he's doing the morning show. There's a period of of mourning and people— In disgust. Right, having to be responsible for their actions, and now we've moved on. But you're right with Jude Law that we never really did that. And if anything, Sienna Miller, who was his girlfriend at the time, suffered from the associations from being in that tabloid, in the tabloid Because Hugh Grant, it was never the same for him after that. After his whole little scandal, I feel he like never all, really bounced back. Ah, uh, uh, he's fine. He's 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 working all the time. I I just think Jude the, Law. The, yeah, Jude Law and Hugh Grant. They're they're all closer. Was on recently. Yeah, which I had to watch some of because I'm reading this book about Mike Nichols, and uh, it's funny. That's only like five years after this movie, and he seems like 20 years older. Yeah. Well, he starts to lose his hair pretty quick. Yeah. Which kind of dispels tough. him. His hair in this movie, holy shit. It's it is. He is a hair icon. He's like he's his whole body is golden. And the he looks like the an clothes Oscar. he wears yeah. is perfect. His he's a hat icon. It's yeah. really it's tremendous. And when uh, when Gwyneth Paltrow as Marge says when Tom starts getting bummed out, Dickie's kind of shunned shunned him for uh, Freddie, and she says the thing with Dickie, it's like the sun shines on you and it's glorious. And then he forgets you, and it's very, very cold. So I'm learning. When you have his attention, you feel like you're the only person in the world. That's why everybody loves him. It's always the same. Whenever someone new comes into his life... You have to be pulling off the performance for 
somebody to say that about you and, and it not seem like the worst part of the movie. But she's right. You're like, I get it. This guy walks in a room. Everybody just wants to gravitate toward him. It's true. He has like a light in his eyes the whole time. And he's doing things that on another actor would look ridiculous. He's playing the saxophone, you know? He's wearing a jazz hat. He's like the original white guy who loves jazz in movies. (laughs) And it just goes on forever. There's so much. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is just like, Dickie is a bad person. Totally. Really demonstrably. He does a lot of terrible things. Mm. And you can see him and even intellectually acknowledge, well, that is a terrible thing that that person just did. But like, I don't care because I'm so like ensorcelled by Jude Mm. Law. He never he never topped this from no. jumping off a movie screen. He but he he's had a good career, but he's never topped it. He ha- it's been very up and down. I think if you look at the movies he made right after this, it's him kind of trying to reject being the most beautiful man in the world. Like he yeah. makes he makes AI, which is basically like a commentary on the robotic beauty that he possesses. He makes Road to Perdition, where he plays like a really grimy. I think he's like an assassin, and he's like kind of ugly, and I think he puts a gap in his teeth. Cold Mountain, he's covered in dirt the whole time. He's a soldier. I Heart Huckabee is one of my favorite, most underrated movies of the, of the century where he plays this character, Brad Stand, who is almost like a, it's almost like if Dickie Greenleaf was born in 1980 instead of in 1940. Mm. And he's just like so full of shit and so golden and like such a bad person. But also he's like, he, people are attracted to him. Like he has this ability to seem like super phony, but also magnetic at the same time. Mm. It's a gift. Last one, Hoffman. This is when he goes on to his character actor run, 99, 2000. He's in Flawless. What do you stand on Flawless? Uh, not aging well. It felt like it was supposed to be an important movie at the time. It never got there, and now it's just gone. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't really love it when I saw it back then either. Magnolia. Iconic. Talented Phil Mr. Parma. Ripley. Stayed in Maine. And then Almost Famous. By the time Almost Famous is out, it's like, oh, Hoffman. This is the guy. He is. He can pass through a movie put 10 minutes in and steal every scene even more than uh, Kate Blanchett. Is it, like, should we just talk about him right now? Yeah, let's do it. Um, by far best actor of his generation. Like, not even close yeah. to me. Um, I think probably the simultaneously, like, the funniest, scariest, most vulnerable actor ever. Like, not afraid to be disgusting. Not afraid to be weird. Not afraid to, like, he could, he could, he could be King Lear one moment. And then he could be like the biggest dirtbag of all time the next moment. And you mentioned it before, but he kind of, just like Dickie, he kind of just like pulls into this movie like a tornado. As soon as he's on screen, you're like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? He's very funny, but disgusting. And he could just take over. And I think he's good in his parts where he's the lead. You know, he's good in Capote and he's obviously great in The Master. But I love him best when he is just Scotty J or, 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 or Miles, you know? Agree. And what's funny is you got Scotty J. He's got the Magnolia guy who's very meek. Yes. Very sweet. Very earnest. We did when we did Rewatchables 99, like Cruz has the big scene and Hoffman's just in the background sobbing, like just got so caught up in the Cruz performance. Like he just kind of broke down. Then he does this character and then Lester Banks at Almost Famous, which he filmed in two days when he had a cold. And I, I mean, when he's in the record store, he's like, Iggy Pop, amen. <laughs> and like the energy that he could bring, like you could feel it. But I loved him in this movie, I think the most. I think this is my single favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance because he's in three scenes. And in each of the scenes, you're like, oh my God, what is happening? Yeah, and it's not like he's taking on small actors. He's taking on big time no. movie stars, yeah. blowing them off the screen. I mean, that's the thing. I often feel when we talk about character actors or supporting actors, it, 
the difference between them and movie stars is they don't often always have that magnetic quality. They have other things. They can assume a lot of different personas. But Philip Seymour Hoffman has that same, you just want to be near this person and watch every second of what's happening to him, even though he's only in the movie for 10 minutes. And I always feel like he's creating a character. Like they give him Freddy, right? And they're like, this guy's a fucking douchebag. He's he's uh Dickie's buddy. And he's gonna he's gonna think he's better than Ripley. Those are your instructions. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, good, I got it. And then he comes back and he's got this character. And like when we were gonna talk about the boat scene, Tommy has to peep in. But before he <laughs> says that, he's kind of watching him and he does that laugh where he's like <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's so douchey, but he can pull it off, and he just seems like the biggest fucking douchebag. I know. And yeah. His dad's probably some billionaire somewhere, and, and he's just like the perfect prep school douchebag. My favorite little moment is when he's in the the record store listening to the jazz records, and there's a close up of him, and he's looking at Ripley with such disdain, yeah, yeah. such contempt, such like you're so beneath me, revulsion. Right. And it, there's no dialogue. It's, he's just holding headphones up to his ears and looking at somebody. But he just he says everything with the one look. And Tom shows up at breakfast the next day, and, and he's just like, I'm starting in on this guy right yeah. away. Yeah. I'm yeah. just cutting his legs out. Great job, Ham. Matt Damon said this was his favorite film he's ever made. $40 million budget. You think that's still true, the Damon thing? Yeah. Okay. $40 million budget, $130 million it made, five Oscar nominations. The cast includes four Oscar winners. Everybody but Jude Law, who got nominated. Um, the OKC Thunder comp is pretty legit. It's not bad. I didn't realize the director died at age 54. Yeah. yeah. I'd forgotten sad. that. I thought he was older for some reason. No. But he had a fatal hemorrhage for cancer of tonsils and neck. Great filmmaker. Um, he had been trying to make this movie over and over and over again on his terms. And it took a while. Because the the book was apparently famous. I'm going to step on casting whatifs for a second. Um he said he wanted final say over who played Tom Ripley and said, I'm not making the movie until I find Tom Ripley. We're not just going to make it with a guy I'm 80% about. It's like, I have to have, that was one thing. The other thing he said was who were the brightest and most interesting group of young actors I could find in the world. That's who I try to put in the film. And when I turned around a year later, they were all household names. Yeah. The, the casting in this is so remarkable just because all five of those people have to have chemistry with each person individually. It's not just like Jude Law and Matt Damon have to have chemistry, yep. but then like Gwyneth Paltrow and Matt Damon have to and Kate Blanchett and Gwyneth Paltrow have to have the chemistry or like the they have to be plausible enemies. It's it's remarkable that he found these five people. I mean, I guess. So five became, for five. Yeah. Then they became five movie stars. So. Right. Shout out Anthony Magella. But like. Blanchett was not a movie star when he cast her, and Jude Law was not a movie star. And he gave Jude Law a really big part. Like, he, he's he saw a, something. He's coming off of Gattaca. And I think in Gattaca, people were like, this guy's going to be a thing. So there was some momentum for Jude Law. That's like, a fun stage when 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 somebody's in the going to be a thing part of their career. Yeah. Like Chris Pine right after Star Trek. Yes. It's mm-hmm. like, going to be a thing. Yes. But they all have that moment, except for Gretchen Maul. It didn't last very long. Vanity Fair, and that was it. Tough beat, but a worse version of this movie stars Gretchen Maul instead of Gwyneth Paltrow. That's the thing. Like, you do have to get lucky with these kinds of people. And that's the people. thing. If, if if Gretchen Maul is is Marge, the movie takes a hit. Yeah. It's a really hard part, and it could go wrong in the wrong hands. It's somebody trying to be super whatever. Roger Ebert. Roger came through. 
Four out of four. Yes. Quote, an intelligent thriller. Quote, insidious in the way it leads us to identify with Tom Ripley. He's a monster, but we want him to get away with it. Hmm. I'm so glad Raj is back on the board. Yeah. Do you agree with that? That's an interesting way of phrasing it. Are you rooting for Ripley? Yeah, 100%. I think you kind of are against your will. You both are like, this This is really screwed up and it's about to happen. But it's a little bit structurally because you are, as you said, in his mind and you're watching it. And there just is also that first hour, you are also like it totally enraptured with Dickie and Marge. And you also want to be a part of it, or at least I do. But uh, I mean, it's great. I would love to spend my summer on the Amalfi Coast. And so you're at least sympathetic to him. Yeah, I think in the beginning of the movie, you feel like, oh, he's kind of like an underdog, like lower middle class kid just trying to make his way in the world. But as as things unfold, you're like, this guy is a specific brand of evil. I don't, you know, maybe he's just evolving in real time or he's just mentally ill or something. They never really say, but. Um, I rooted for him the whole time. The whole time? Yeah. Even after he this was bashed Freddie's head in. I had this in, in uh, Unanswerable Questions. Was this the year the anti-hero was officially born? Mm-hmm. Mr. Ripley, Tony Soprano, um, Fight Club guys. Yeah, Tyler Durden. Yeah. yeah. Those are the first three. And then it's like, boom, we're off. Uh, anti-heroes. The shield comes. Interesting. That's The a good wire theory. guys. And then it's like, oh, cool. We can root for these terrible people now. Yeah. Well, I don't I mean, remember doing that before the end no, of the decade. No, we had like Dirty Harry and stuff like that in the 70s. There was versions of it. Dirty in the Harry. Past. How dare you? Dirty Harry is not a great in- cop. Yeah, what are you talking about? Broke several laws. No. Murdered several suspects. He did what he had to do. Okay, that's your take on Dirty Harry. <laughs> uh, but taught it, people a lesson. Sure, great. This is this is. A- <laughs> I think of that as like the vigilante era. Okay. That's like the Death Wish, Dirty Harry. These criminals are crazy. Thank God we have this one person who's not afraid of them. We'll right, take care of business. Right. Almost like an anti-hero. I was a vigilante. <laughs> okay. He's protecting us. <laughs> okay. As CEO of the Ringer Podcast Network, I use my morning commute to catch up on the most recent episodes of our shows, like the Dave Chang Show, The Big Picture, The Watch, and many more. It's my way of using the drive as an opportunity to stay on top of everything going on at the Ringer and get prepared for the day, no matter what your morning commute looks like. You can use it as an opportunity to earn rewards with three times points on travel, including transit like taxis, ride shares, subway swipes, even ferry rides. For those of you who get to enjoy a nice breeze, on your way to work. I hope you're listening to me right now on your way to work. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash green from Amex terms apply. Let's go to the categories. Most rewatchable scene. Tom hangs out with Dickie for the first time. Unless you want to go earlier with the scene. Is that the Speedo scene or when he comes to lunch afterwards and starts doing the impression of the dad? Yes. Which, Okay. When he says, um, Dickie says, what are you good at? And he says, forging signatures, <laughs> telling lies, impersonating practically anybody. Everybody should have one talent. What's yours? Forging signatures. Uh, telling lies, impersonating practically anybody. That's three. Nobody should have more than one talent. Which I thought was a little weird that, that you would play, show your hand coming out of the gate. Maybe that was a little Jedi mind trick by him. But that whole, as he's trying to win over Dickie and Dickie's like, this fucking schlub, I don't even remember him from Princeton, but is kind of enamored by him for some reason. Yeah, well, I I think that powerful, charismatic people like to be surrounded by people who they know they're more charismatic than. Mm. So Dickie's attracted to that in a way with him. He knows he can kind of push him around a little bit, big brother him. Is that why you have Chris? 
N- no, uh, no, that might be why you have me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the other thing too with Damon's character saying that is I think con men. One thing that con men do really well is they actually reveal something about their strategy to make you trust them more. Mm. You know, to sort of say like I'm letting you under the hood. I'm letting you see like my interior. So then you'll then you'll know that even if I'm conning other people, I'm not. I'm never going to con you. Right. I would I would never hurt you in this way because you know I can do this. So that's a really cool scene. Can can I give a quick shout out to the opening credits, which I know is not like a cool thing to say. But yeah. The style of the opening credits is very Saul Bass, who made a lot of opening credit sequences for Hitchcock. Yeah. Including Strangers on a Train. Strangers on a Train is also a Patricia Highsmith adaptation. There's like a lot of purposefulness behind that the sort of like it's almost like two lines like sliding over each other and even they're showing like dicky walking in europe and there's a you know uh like a green bar like lens through him because it's all about the way that you see people and the way that they can flip like there's all like little subtle choices in the movie like this throughout like in the filmmaking that i really like um the the mid late 90s is when we really got good at credits you think so there's a lot lot of next level like even enemy of the state I don't remember. What are the credits like in that Just one? really good. Really strong credits. <laughs> okay. Really good. Great. Keep you, I mean, for years and years, it was just words, words, words mm-hmm. for the credit. And it'd be like, directed by this person, starring this person. And then they actually started to make them a little visually stimulating. I remember Seven had really good credits. Mm-hmm. They were sort of disgusting, but like revealed what kind of movie you were going to get. Next rewatchable scene, Tom sings jazz with Dickie for the first time. My wife's probably favorite movie scene of all time. Wow. It's a, it's in the running. I she loves it so much. It's irresistible. It's all of the movie's themes con- and like drama condensed into two minutes and is also um, just really, really watchable. Yeah. It, my wife also is obsessed with this scene. It's funny that you say that. That's why I was kind of taken aback when you said it. She used to sing she this loves song Jula. all the time. Yeah. Dude, we got Americano, Americano, Americano. Is that a real song? Yeah, I should have researched it. it. Um, Whiskey and soda. soda. Yeah. You keep going. And, and then she brings more stanzas. That's, you know? all, that's all I know because I know the one Italian line and then when they say whiskey and soda. Great job by the Italian guy. Yeah. Really sells that song. Fausto? And then, yeah. And then they bring Matt Damon in near the end and, and he does just enough. Like I'm super awkward. I don't really mm-hmm. belong here, but I'm really so happy to be here. I can't stand it. Yeah. And he's just staring at Jude Law the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's just completely loving it. It is good character building. Good yeah. job by him. That's a great scene. Uh, next one. Freddie enters the movie. It's this is an all time five seconds. Is this even a scene? It's just, just honestly whole... one line and the entrance. Oh, it's so good. Oh God! Don't you want to fuck every woman you see just once? Only once. Absolutely once, child. Tom Ripley, Freddie Mac. Tom. And then takes them to go listen to jazz records, yeah. which I guess was a thing back then. They're just this... sharing each each sharing a headphone. I feel like we had. Uh, like listening booths in my lifetime. Like you had to go to the record store to listen to CDs before you bought them. And like 94, you could do that. No no one else did that? The listening booth? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like go to the wall. Right. Spend hours in there listening there to records. Yeah. Okay. It was great. You couldn't right. Spotify. That didn't exist back then. Yeah. I just want to say, could you imagine being Philip Seymour Hoffman, being a young actor? You get this script. You look at the script and it says, Freddie enters pulling through a piazza in, in a, a cherry red Alfa Romeo. And this is what he says. Oh, God, don't you want to fuck every woman you see just once? That's the first thing he says. 
It's just one of the the best entrances in it's movie history. In a charming way. Yeah. Well, he's kind of gross, but yes. No, it's very sleazy. No, but he does, in a, he's in a charming, charming friendly way, though. Like, you're like, oh, I kind of like, like oh, this guy. Who's this guy? My friend is here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I have Freddie again. Next rewatchable scene. Freddie making fun of Tom at breakfast. Hey. You know, I want this job of yours, Tommy. I was just saying, you live in Italy. You uh, stay at Dickie's house. Do you think he's food? Wears clothes. And his father picks up the tab. <laughs> oh, yeah, if you get bored, you let me know, because I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. And then leading to the boat. When uh, they're in the water and Marge gets off the line, why is it when men play, they always pretend to kill each other, which I think is just a good line. Good line. Mm-hmm. And then finally leading to, they go down in the bottom and and uh, <laughs> Ripley's just watching and Tommy goes, Tommy, how's the peeping? How's the peeping? Tommy, how's the peeping? Tommy, how's the peeping? Tommy, 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 Tommy. <laughs> Tommy, 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 Tommy. Do you think that was in the script? I, <laughs> Do you think the script was like, Tommy has the peeping and Hoffman's like, I have some ideas. <laughs> well, he kind of makes a jazz, you know? He kind of makes a rhythmic. <laughs> How many times do you think you've said, Tommy, how's the peeping to people who have no idea what that is a reference to? I wish we had somebody named Tommy. Oh, I do. I have Tommy Alter. Yes. Oh, I'll just start doing that with Tommy. You've never done that with Tommy? No, I never have. You said it to me probably He's always been Tommy Alter. Tommy. (laughs) The boat murder is really good and really well done and- Violent and weird and well acted, and it flips. And he goes, "Who are you, some third class mooch?" And it just gets super ugly and unfolds in a way that it seems realistic that he would kill him, not intentionally. And then he transforms. I think the line that you open the show with is like one of the more devastating digs you can put on a person. You know, you're a leech, and it's boring. It's so boring. Like that is pain. Imagine someone saying that to you. Imagine feeling so dismissed. What? You can be a leech. You know that. And it's boring. You can be quite boring. Well, and that this is the best. If we're going to talk about big, I was going to do this in what stage the best, but the big picture theme of the movie is you have this whole super wealthy culture that everyone else aspires to get to. And the closest this guy can come is basically to infiltrate it with the stupid, come go get my son. And then pretending he's something he's not. And he's living a lie the whole time, but he's getting a piece of this culture in this, in this whole world Mm -hmm. that he would never have a chance to be in otherwise. And at some point he's like, I'm just going to start killing people. I'm not ready to leave. I'm not leaving this. I mean, I'm leaving a trail of bodies so I can stay here. He's also trying to protect things about himself that he wants people to know, but doesn't want to say out loud. You know, like he's in love with Dickie and he he's convinced himself that he and Dickie have a something more, you know, and, and I, th- I think there's a difference between he's convinced himself that they have something more and he's in love with Dickie. And that's an interesting tension to the movie, to what extent his mm-hmm. his affection for Dickie is about 
wanting to be with Dickie and versus wanting to be Dickie and have all that Dickie have all that being Dicky means. So one other scene I would add that comes right before the one that you're describing that I think is important to that conversation is when they're playing chess and Dickie's in the bathtub, which is a really peculiar scene. And I'm sure when I was like 16 and I saw it, I didn't really get it. I didn't really get what was going on. The power dynamics, like what Dickie is doing to him, if he's like challenging him sexually, if he is interested in him, but he won't say anything. Like there's a lot of unspoken going on in that yeah. scene that that, that obviously like kind of triggers uh, Ripley. It kind of like sets him off in a, in a way. I didn't include that because I, I felt like that scene they were trying like 10% too hard to establish some sort of sexual tension thing. And I, I just never got the feeling that Dickie was gay. I didn't think Dickie was gay either. I think he was like lording it over him in yeah. a way. He knows that uh, Tom is interested in him in the way that everyone is interested in him. And Dickie is like, is using that um, against people and against each other constantly. Exactly. Mm. Because everyone is attracted to Dickie. Even Freddie, who's not gay, is like, where's Dickie? I want to be around Dickie. I need to be around Dickie. The uh, next one, most rewatchable scene, Tom runs into Peter and Marge at the opera. Tom! Marge! How are you? What what are you doing in Rome? Is he here? Are you with Dickie? No. Um, no. Um, Hello, um, I'm Tom Ripley. Peter Smith Kingsley. I've, I've heard all about you from Marge and Dickie. You know. No, no, no glasses. So, where are you hiding him? It's impossible, isn't it? Is he really not here? Well, Marge, you know Dickie has I Hate Opera tattooed on his chest. I thought you were going to Venice. Well, what happened with that? I heard you were desperate to come. I was rather looking forward to rowing you around. Uh, I am. Um, um. I really am. I'm, I've been traveling. I just can't seem to get that far north. Well, you should uh, hurry before we sink. Coming mm-hmm. right off, the opera make him cry because it's this parallel to how he killed Dickie, basically. And then he's strutting around <laughs> with uh, thinking he's Dickie, but then all of a sudden, these two people who know that he's not Dickie and the way he handles it, and he slinks yeah. around the... Everything about how that scene shot, he slinks around the corner so Marge can't find him and... It's really well done. Damon's performance is so good. And Marge is, Marge is, it's the first time the hint of her being like, wait a second. What's going on? What do you mean? Yeah, why are you here? How did you get in here? You saw Dickie? Like she's, but not too accusatory, but you can see she's sizing him up the whole Mm. time. And it's so confused, but I like that scene. And then uh, Freddie confronts Tom. That would be my next scene. Uh, Similarly, like some of the best Incredible readings, Hoffman. You know, just the Hoffman where he's like... It's a new piano. Probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't. Uh... Did this place come furnished? It doesn't look like Dickie. It's, uh, it's really horrible. <laughs> Isn't it? So, uh... That's that's a very expensive piano. Can no. you not? And he's just pounding it. And I, he, yeah, he asks whether uh, Dickie decorated it, the apartment himself. And he's like, "It's so bourgeois." And then he yeah. shits on it. Yeah. yeah. And it, the part when he, Tom is trying to tell him where Dickie is, and he says, "Well, I would suggest you ask Dickie that yourself." I'll tell us it's on Della Croce, just off the Corso. Is it on Della Croce, just off the Corso? You're a, you're a quick study, aren't you? The last time you didn't know your ass from your elbow, now you're giving me directions. That's not fair. You probably do know your ass from your elbow. 
Do you think he knew? Freddie? The character? Yeah. What is Freddie thinking at this point? <sighs> he knows he's a con man, right? He knows he's full of it and he didn't go to Princeton. Right. I don't think he knew that he killed Dickie, though. No, but do you think he thought maybe he stole money from Dickie or something? Yeah, of course. I think he thinks that Tom is there trying to take advantage of the situation, probably in the same way to an extent that Freddie is. I mean, they all Mm -hmm. are taking advantage of Dickie and of each other. But I think he is, he's suspicious. Um, I don't have any more 100% rewatchable scenes. I really like the first two thirds of this movie more than the last third. I do like, though, when Paltrow flips out at the end. I know it was you. I know it was you, Marge. I know it was you. No! Marge! 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 Yeah, and that was a big change from the book because she yeah. didn't in the book she doesn't she doesn't suspect him at that all. That seems good. I wouldn't give that totally re- rewatchable though. I Any like, other rewatchables? I, for I you? do like the Phil Baker Hall scene a lot because you think it's going to go one way and then it goes the other way, and you think you're going to get this big reveal where he interrogates him and he's forced to confront him. And like all of the Ripley stuff, all the other Ripley movies, Purple Noon, the original Ripley, every time you think he's going to get caught, he wriggles out. Yeah. The problem with Purple Noon is that he gets caught at the end, and that like totally betrays the point of the Ripley character who is uncatchable, who is like such a mad genius. And when detective, what's his name? McCarran comes in and he's like, you know, I don't like bullshit. I don't like talking it and I don't like hearing it. Um, You think he's going to cut straight to the chase and be like, you killed Dickie. And instead he's like, what I'd like to do is give you money because you did such a good job. It's crazy. (laughs) It's a good, I like that scene a lot. He's basically playing the Boogie Nights character too. I'm a simple man. I, I feel like Phil Baker Hall is the same guy in seven of these movies and I love him every time. There, There is like an underrated Phil Baker Hall run that he's smacked at oh, in the middle yeah. of. So in, he goes 1997, Air Force One, Boogie Nights, The Truman Show, Rush Hour, Enemy of the State, The Psycho Remake, Cradle Will Rock, The Insider, Magnolia, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Rules of Engagement. Jesus. That's like 11 movies. He's like the that guy of his time. Yeah. He is, you know, without yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes, but, but that's, I mean, I, I agree. With that's you. amazing. Yeah. Most rewatchable scene for you guys? I mean, for me, it's the, it's the singing in the club. I agree. I agree. What's age the best? Jude Law, we covered him. Peak Blanchette and Peak Paltrow. I wrote that one down. Okay. Peak. Peak Paltrow. Peak. Not Peak Blanchette for me. Just like that young version of them. Sure. Captures them yeah. at the perfect time of their young careers. Uh, Italy. Have it with an exclamation point. Love just it. seems so great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, and this whole movie, just the production value, it's so, like, sumptuous and um, and 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 beautiful and you want to be a part of it, which is, like, part of the kind of the tricky edge of this movie is that you're, you know, do you ultimately want to be a part of what's going on here? Right. I'm not sure. But for the first two-thirds of it, I definitely do. It is one. Sometimes these movies just make you want to go visit the place. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons my wife likes this movie so much is you watch this and you're like, man, I got to get back to Italy. You start, you just see the different things. Oh my God. We'd all like to go to Mangiabello. Unfortunately, it does not exist. Yeah. Yeah. Where did they, was Positano? Positano, yeah. yeah. That still exists. It sure does. Yeah. I would love to go. Dickie's clothes I had down. Wait, can we do a live rewatchables from Positano? Sure. Okay. (laughs) Dickie's clothes, they did a great job. I have Philip Baker Hall's one scene. And then uh then I have this. Tom is talented. 
Time is tender. Time is beautiful. Time is a mystery. Tom has someone to love him. That is a good thing. Tom is crushing me. Tom is crushing me. Tom, Tom, you're crushing. Tom, you're crushing me. How they do that is really great. Well, the camera's Tom not is on. Good. Tom yeah. is he's uh, back in his Tom room. Tom is yeah. crushing me. Yeah. Uh, Tom, you're crushing me. <laughs> What so? What you see him? He's got a tie or a rope or something. I thought it was a belt. A belt. A belt he's got yeah. something, and he's walking over to the bed, and he sits on the bed. He's talking to Peter. And he knows he's going to do it, and he starts leaning mm-hmm. on him. Right? They have this physical connection, yeah. and you know that he's going to start doing something. And then we get the cut, and we go back to Tom's room, but you can still hear the dialogue. But when he's saying he's crushing me, what is he doing to him? I think he thinks he's like giving him a little love tap, strangle from behind, and then it's. A full, a full fledged strangle and asphyxiation. Yeah, it's, that's, that's you think that's maybe part that of their love making. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I'm okay. not here to judge. Yeah, I mean, the way he's snu- that Matt Damon is snuggling up on him, you have to figure that he's like he's pretty much on top of him and, and strangling he, he him like from put behind. Put his elbow in his back and strangling him. Or yeah, something? maybe he did like just, a UFC move on. Yeah, him. it sounds like it. Okay, like he's bear hugging him from behind, like they're buddies, and then yeah, just gets a little tighter and Brock tighter. Brock Lesnar choked him out. Yeah. Any other what's age the best for you? We've covered a lot of it. I mean, scammer season yeah. uh, it has definitely, It's. I think it's probably always been uh, relevant. I don't think that talented Mr. Ripley or even Patricia Highsmith invented scammer season, but this movie definitely applies to certain recent events and this infatuation with how you look and um, superficial. Hathaway? Superficial. Why, why are you saying in Hathaway? I don't know. She got scammed. Did you? Oh, yeah. By the by an Italian. By the, prince. By the Italian. Yeah. yeah. I more meant like, you know, Anna Delvey and all yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Instagram people who are like, I, oh, you know, everything I like. I about you. surfaces and looking good and what you project versus what is actually there. This movie is like certainly relevant. And all of those people are doing the same thing as Ripley. They're trying to enter this elevated lifestyle. They're all trying to get a little closer to that wealth, that success that right. they have no access to. I have for what's age the best other than Jude Law, uh, just Italy. Yeah. Just Aging well. Italy. It's thousands of years of Italy beautiful still, history. Still winning. <laughs> Italy. <laughs> I will say when I was watching it, I was thinking back and wishing I could have visited Rome in the 1950s when it was not overrun with tourism in quite the same way. Obviously, it'd be nice to be in Rome in the year 1000. It would have been yeah. nice to be there. Would it is? I don't know whether historically speaking, 1000 was like the highlight for Rome. I think what, that what was, was the kind best of, year. Well, you might want to be there, like you know, at the at the dawn of the new millennium or the old millennium when things are really popping off. One thousand is kind of like dark ages. Um. Okay. Maybe fourteen hundred. Just as as I, the I Renaissance mean, was about sure. to, to strike. That's that would have been cool. Some, you know, it's cool. New Pope stuff. You know, it's cool. Yeah. Rome. It's awesome. It's Rome's so great. amazing. Big fan. It's because everything you don't actually have to. You can go to a museum, but most of the stuff is just like on the street and you can look at some old shit and then eat some pasta. It's great. It'd be cool if we had like the leftovers though for Rome where like half the people would just disappear 
And then I You just I, I, had a really traumatic experience recently. You went in the summer. I went in the summer. And it was yeah. so crowded and so hot. It was beautiful. Uh, I had a great time. It was it didn't smell great. Yeah. It didn't smell great. There's not a lot of deodorant in Italy. <laughs> I'm half Italian, I can say that. Can I just say that it, Rome is great? You know what is also great? Uh is the Mediterranean and particularly mm. the Italian coast on the Mediterranean, an A plus experience. Um I my husband planned my wedding and I planned my honeymoon because I didn't really want to have a wedding. I just wanted to have a honeymoon. But I, it was literally uh, my theme was talented Mr. Ripley without the murder. Um, and, I, you know, I want to say I thought I think we got pretty close. And then he threw in one murder. Yeah. But it was only one. <laughs> it's fine. We covered it up. What's age the worst? Covered the last 45 minutes of the movie. A little slow. Probably could have yeah. cut yeah. 10 minutes out of there. It's a little slow. Silvana's death scene still confusing to me. Me too. That that's kind of my one. What the fuck were they doing here, and what's going on? And it is I really confusing. I don't understand how she killed herself, and how they knew she killed herself, and just any of it, and why they thought it was a suicide versus her being murdered. And I just don't understand any of it. What and is your interpretation? Who was hugging of it? each other, and were the the brothers? And well, my interpretation is just that they're they're there for a different festival, right? It's like yeah. that. What's it? The something about the Virgin Mary. Always the case in Italy, and then and then she, and none of them are virgins. I, well, that's the problem. That's that's okay. you know what? Let's this is a sex positive podcast, okay? okay? Um, and then she shows up. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> sex positive? No, it's just anytime Sean keeps being like it, Sean likes to shame people for having sex in movies, that's and I I don't true. I don't think sex shamer. I only yeah. like to shame whores okay. and, the, and the men who Great. sleep with them. Great that's job. It. At a wedlock, defying Christ. Okay. His teachings. Well, I don't think you're supposed to know that. Well, you are. The viewer is. But, like, the people at the festival are just upset because, like, their friend is just drowned. I mean, that yeah. always puts a damper on a festival. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when the dead body is floating, floating in there. It's not what you want. i just so confused. How did she kill herself? She drowned Why? herself. Who, who drowns themselves as a... As a as a suicide, like usually you would like tie a rock to your leg, right? I'm not even totally sure I fully got her despair. Obviously, she's pregnant. There's and a she's scene missing. This affair, yeah. but there's something doesn't connect. Like it she just says jumps quickly. She says at one point, like Dickie, we have to talk. And he's like, yeah, yeah, and then all of a sudden she's dead. All of it is. But then they a cut off. straight to Dickie, and I think you're just supposed to know that he's involved in it somehow. Right? Or that he is somehow well, we knew, responsible we for it. We knew they were fucking. We just didn't know. Yeah. But as soon as they cut to him, you're like, oh, she's dead. He must have done something. But is there a possibility he murdered her, though? I think there, there could be. They insinuate that in some ways, but in other ways, it just seems like a total tragedy to him. Like, it's kind of hard. to. It's just hard to understand. And the movie is it's about ambiguity in some ways. But that part, I completely agree, Bill. Like, I couldn't really gather what they were going for there. Any what's other, what's age of worse, worse for you that we haven't covered? Hmm. No. All right. Casting what ifs. Apparently, Leo declined the offer to play Ripley before Damon was cast. Would not have Yet been. Yet again. Would not have been. Damon right versus Leo. Yeah. Comes up over and over again. Always. I think Leo's, it would have been a different movie. It wouldn't have been as good. Leo should have been Dicky. Leo's not. Leo's yeah. Dicky would have been great. And at that age, he could do it. Yeah. Blonde, tall, handsome. Christian Bale considered for the role of Tom Ripley. Mm. He could have done it. He's like slightly too menacing. That's mm. I see. I agree with that. Yeah, because that's fair. Damon is using his kind of boyish all American looks and vibe in this, and you can like watch it turn in his face. But uh, you know, Christian Bale 
doesn't have that. He has other gifts. It's true. It's funny. A year later, he's American Psycho. And there's like, that's yeah. kind of an interesting double feature mm. about con men who lure people to be murdered. And Leo ultimately plays Gatsby, which is another like in this conversation. And Same I think deal. Leo makes more sense for Gatsby because Gatsby is more like outwardly flamboyant right. and um, showy, much like Leo's style of acting. John Malkovich apparently came very close to directing this movie. That's weird. He, well, he later played Ripley. He Ripley's played Ripley game. in the it's sequel. strange. Yeah. Let's take a break to talk about Luminary, a podcast subscription service with some of the best content around, including The Ringer's amazing new podcast, Sonic Boom, How Seattle Lost Its Team, hosted by our very own Jordan Ritter-Khan. You like this podcast, Sean. I loved it. I helped work on it. You helped work on it. Look yeah, at you. Yeah. That was like a humble brag. Putting my editing cap on. Yeah. There you go. Well, if you're a fan of sports, great investigative journalism, or NBA franchises getting cruelly ripped away from their cities, <laughs> I would highly recommend this. We broke a lot of news on it. We also did... Uh, Break stuff, the story of Woodstock 99, another great one. Steve Hyden, the rewatchable spinoff, the rewatchables 1999. You were on that a couple times. Loved it. We didn't we didn't finish the slate though. We need to, we got more 99 movies to do. Well, we we still have Fight Club. We still have Fight Club. That's the last one. Do it in 2000. Uh, Luminary app free to download gives you access to way more than just their own content, including thousands of other shows like this one. Uh, two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free at luminary.link slash rewatch. After that, it is only $7.99 per month. Luminary.link slash rewatch. Cancel anytime. Terms do apply. The Dan Waiters Award. It can only be Hoffman. It can only be Hoffman. I think Dan Waiters in real life, the basketball player. Yes, thank you. It's not going well. Oh, no. He's been suspended twice in Miami for contra- conduct detrimental to the team. Okay. Are you able to rename the Dion Waiters Award? I'm... Um, the Freddie Miles Award is kind of pretty wow. good. Wow. Yeah. It's it's one of the all-time heat checks we've ever had in this pod. Wow. I thought what we would do is— This is a big moment. Well, I thought when we get to the 100th and we do the reheat, um, me and Chris uh, Ryan— is that, what, is that actually happening? Yeah, the 100th— That's, that's, really, dude, that's really nice. 100 episodes and then the 101st is the reheat that's, with me and Chris Ryan. We're just doing it again. Have some more thoughts since the last time. I'm really glad you guys found each other. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But I was thinking maybe we'd have the listeners give them four choices, put it on the Twitter account. Okay. Because I think we should rename Dion Waiters after the 100th. Okay. For heat check, the heat check. It should be a new new person for the second. I, I will say, like, I think I finally learned what this award meant. Like, and now we're know, changing and, it. Uh, no, but the, if it's Freddie Miles, I still understand what it means. So that's okay. You know, the, the Freddie Miles award is pretty good. I yeah. love it. I don't think we can change it yet because wasn't Dion Waiters on this Oklahoma City Thunder team? <laughs> and isn't, good point. isn't Hoffman's character well, kind of the, ties. The, the Dion Waiters? There you go. That's why we do it. Apex Mountain. You could make a strong case for Gwyneth there. She's already won the Oscar, she's in another big movie. She's been in six commercial movies over the last two years. I don't know if she has more power at any other point than she does right now. Is I'm sorry that we have to redefine this category in every episode, but is <clears throat> Apex Mountain limited to uh, acting or movie endeavors? It is about peak of your powers. When did you have the most career options? When okay. did you have the most juice to do whatever you wanted? Okay. I mean, the goop thing is so Yeah, huge. I was going to say, I honestly think it might be right now. I know that's ridiculous. I would say that's Gwyneth, the business right. woman. So that's Apex you mean just the actor? I think the actor. I think this is Apex Mountain for her. It's a good case. Okay. Jude Law? I mean, 
Absolutely. It has to be, right? Yeah. This is coming out of this movie where like this guy's gonna be James Bond. This guy's gonna be who is this? He's the most handsome man in the world. What's next? And He's, he never really, really topped it. He strikes me as one of those guys who's going to win an Oscar when he's like 71. And it's going to be for a really like saccharine, mediocre movie. But we're going to be like, Jude Law's given us so much. It's time to honor him in his time. And we're going to look back and be like, why didn't we honor him for a movie like this? He was nominated. Like when Michael Caine won the Oscar? Exact same. Which And the year that he won the Oscar for this in this race. Oh, yeah. He won right. for the Cider House Rules. And Jude Law was nominated. Mm. 1950s Italy I have for Apex Man. Okay. What? I, I mean, I just wanted to mention Italy again. <laughs> this movie is Apex Mountain for 1950s Italy. For 1950s Italy in a movie. I think that I I think Roberto Rossellini would probably have something to say yeah. about that. He's got uh, some films during this time. For me that personally. You might want to consider. For me personally. Any other uh, Apex Mountains? Nobody else, I don't think, really qualifies. Unless you wanted to make a Hoffman case, which I'm not ready to do. You know, I'm uh Ming- Anthony Minghella is kind of an interesting Minghella. one oh, that's to a good talk one. about. Because yeah. obviously the English patient is like a major triumph, huge hit, wins all these Oscars. And a lot of people were like, can he follow it up? Can Damon follow it up? And like they did. They made it successful. And then it was like. I thought English patient maybe. But maybe you're right. Now that he does right. this. And then it's like, oh man, here we go. Everything at his fingertips. Mm. And he, you know, he probably doesn't, he doesn't make as many movies as you would want him to make. He died so young. Yeah. Um, but he never, I don't think he ever got back to something this successful and beloved either. It's a bad one. Bad loss. It is. It is. He would have made some I, great I movies. I feel like he would have had a couple more decades there. He, His movies that follow are a little bit, they don't feel like they're fully there. Like Cold Mountain and Breaking and Entering in particular are like, there's something a little bit off about both of them. They're interesting, but they're not like yeah. these first two. The Joey Pants Award for Best That Guy, unless we want to give it to Philip Baker Hall, but I feel like he's Philip Baker Hall now. The guy who plays Dickie's dad? Yeah, James, James Rebhorn. Yeah. yeah. He is well, all-time that all guy. All-timer. Yeah. Um, I think they both are. I mean, I can't even name the other movies he's been in, but I know he's been in 30 of them. Are you want to do a couple? I mean, he, he's in Son of a Woman, right? He's in Son of a Woman, also starring Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Um, well, he's in the My Cousin Vinny Basic Instinct back-to-back. That's pretty huge. Oh, yeah. He's in Carlito's Way. He's in White Squall. Who's he in Basic Instinct? Dr. McElwain. He's one of the oh, psychiatrists. Yeah. Um, he's the dad on Homeland. Forgot about that. Mm, that's oh, right. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, like, he also has like a like a mental illness of some kind. Yeah, right. I think right? so. What's his name? James Rebhorn? Rebhorn, yeah. Just God, a phenomenal what a good that guy. guy. Kind of like the G.D. Spradlin for his generation. Good call, yeah. Do you think— um, Like in, in the 70s, he's definitely playing Senator Geary. I feel like you got to do the pyramid for that guy's. He's he's in there. You think he's in the uh, the upper rung? <sighs> is Joe Pantoliano, is he the number one? Yeah, yeah. He's the overlord. His 80s run is uh, just unparalleled. This is good shit. I also really like how much Rebhorn hates jazz. <laughs> Where a guy's playing jazz and he's like, give that guy $100 just to shut up. He's under some stress. His son sure. is missing. He's in a foreign country that he doesn't want to be in. And the, the saxophone is reminding him of his son. Why does Herbert Greenleaf hate Europe? That's kind of a hot take. Well, it's right after the war. Yeah, they're supposed to be post-war Americans. They're building their own world. They're too, they're snobby. Right. Good call. Yeah. Good job, guys. Sounds like now. I agree. (laughs) Herbert Greenleaf hates Brexit. Linda Partridge, they knew overacting award. Uh, Everyone in the Sylvana death scene. (laughs) Some of the the most overacting we've ever had in a movie. (laughs) Ah! 
right. Half fast internet research. Damon lost 30 pounds allegedly. Learned how to play the piano, ran six miles a day, and was covered in makeup all over his body to make him seem pasty and pale in comparison to oh, wow. Law and Paltrow. I, I can't relate to him anymore as yeah. someone who is that pasty and pale. I thought you were wearing makeup too, no, you're not? No, okay. no. Just an undercoat. Damon uh, actually sang My Funny Valentine. Yeah? Yeah. Jude Law learned how to play the saxophone. Where are you at on Chet Baker, Bill? You big Chet Baker guy? Yeah. No? The early stuff. <laughs> uh, Jude Law gained weight for the movie, so... Dickie could seem a little more mm. of substance. Jude Law is also jacked in this movie. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh, broke a rib while falling backward while filming the murder scene in the boat. After viewing the film, Tommy was so, was so emotionally moved <laughs> that he vowed to make a film just as compelling. And four years later, that film was The Room. It, that's the most incredible uh, IMDb trivia moment of all time. It's, it would, they're kind of similar movies. I mean. It's about like a sociopath. In a bad relationship, yeah, who's maybe more in love with his friend than the woman, and one of them kills the other, right? Isn't that what, the, what happens in the room? Sure. <laughs> Tom <laughs> kills Freddie with a bust of the Roman emperor, Hadrian, mm-hmm. who had a gay lover who was killed. A little on the nose. Research. Yeah. You're, um, you were a classics major. Yeah. What's up with Hadrian? Uh, well, he built a wall. And that's you've never heard about Hadrian's Wall? That's like a big thing. Break it, it down. Very, it was very long. There's some of it in the UK, and obviously Rome's in Rome, which is far away. And then also he had a gay lover, and he looks like the bust that's in this movie. Did that concludes just... Amanda's <laughs> Classics Corner. We'll be back. The uh, the um, production they were shooting in all these different seaside towns. They shot in Rome. They shot in Sicily and Naples, and Sometimes the shoots were hundreds of miles apart and they had to scramble around these different places. I think he shot everything in sequence, which made it harder. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Clint Eastwood would have been like, we're shooting all the Sicily stuff today. <laughs> <laughs> we're banging out the boat scene yes, right now. Clint Eastwood, known in Italy and Sicily enthusiast. Not sure the story really would have resonated with Clint Eastwood. This is not really in his style. Recasting couch. Let's talk about Peter, whatever his name is, for a second. Jack Davenport? Yeah. This could have been like Colin, early Colin Farrell. I don't know if he's old enough yet. I wish it was somebody that would eventually become a major star because mm. then we would have had six instead of five. This guy kind of comes and goes. We don't know what happens to him after this I movie. really, for three quarters of my life and also rewatching this movie, I thought it was the guy from... Um, Dead the, Boat Side? Yes, that guy. What's his name? Robert Sean Leonard. Yes. Yeah. Another, another three-name person, but it's not Robert Sean Leonard. No, it's what? not. Yeah. Could have been a bigger star in this role. I'm trying to think of who would have been good in this part. It's Colin Farrell five years later. No. I, I, see, I was thinking more like Colin Firth. Yeah, because oh. that I agree with Colin Firth because this person is actually supposed to be like a good person. Yeah. I mean, he's a little elitist and snotty because he hangs with all these people. But it's like supposed to Colin Firth. show that that Tom can What about know, Jack be Black? Jack Black. No? Absolutely. No. Didn't want English yeah. accent? No. no. Jack Black? I'm just throwing out some Will Ferrell. <laughs> Will Why Ferrell. not Chevy Chase? <laughs> Will, Ferrell. Will Ferrell trying to be weird. Uh, picking nits. Why wouldn't Dickie's dad just go to Italy to get him? Just can't go to Europe That's and just drag him back. building ships. Okay. Yeah. If you're Ripley, do you just come clean about being Dickie at the end on the boat with Kate Blanchett? I don't think you can because then you definitely get arrested. You become for a suspect? Yeah. 
I mean, there is a question of why doesn't he kill her instead of Jack Davenport? Because the her people saw him. Okay. Nobody saw Jack Davenport. Okay. Are we picking nits person. or unanswerable questions? Picking nits. It can be an unanswerable question too. The, there's the the two things are related because when he when he kills Peter, how does he get off the boat? Like, how does he? Where does he do with Peter's body? Overboard. He throws Peter's body overboard. Yeah. What about when they get off the ship and they're like the, going through the manifest? He's like, oh, he must have killed left himself or something. My second friend who I killed himself. I don't know where he is. <laughs> what a coincidence. That's just. I don't that's know. a tough one. I was trying to figure out like where is Peter's body? <laughs> He's like, I can't believe this <laughs> happened again. Two friends who killed themselves. Seriously, tough. I think he probably. I'm wearing their rings. Pretends to be someone else when he gets off the boat. You think he's like, I'm Peter? It's yeah. me, Peter? Yes. I mean, no one's fact-checking. No one's checking anything. Yeah. No one's looking at photographs. That's the genius thing of the movie, is that everything is happening in 1950-whatever, and there's no way to double-check anything. You know? Like, people it's literally true. look at a passport photo of Jude Law, and then they look at Matt Damon, and they're like, checks out. And people are like, okay, whatever. Could be a bad photo. This is true. Here's one related nitpick, though. Like, wouldn't someone at some newspaper have like an actual photograph of Dickie Greenleaf because he's like famous and he's the son of like the shipping heir and he's also really handsome and ostentatious? I just think it was really easy to get away with stuff in the 1950s. Yeah, but like once they're once they're doing a lot of news stories about it, because at one point they say like this is a really big deal, like because oh yeah, there's paparazzi yeah, following him. There, at least there has to be like one, like there's a Princeton yearbook. This with is a like pretty the good pick. Actual net. photograph of Dickie Greenleaf that exists. I, there's a lot of flaws in this movie. Yeah, the the, the plotting is a little bit complicated. And how does Amanda right. Knox get in here? Right. That was weird. <laughs> Great point. Great callback. Yeah. <laughs> the Amanda Knox story, basically a remake of The Talented Mr. Ripley. Very, oh my God, it really is. Please don't bring that up in my presence. Why? What? Do you know what my middle name is? Oh, right. It's Knox. My name is Amanda Knox. I Stavitz. forgot about this. Okay, my Google results were really screwed up for like four to five years there. And Your middle name is Knox? My middle name is Knox. Wow. Yeah. That was tough. Couldn't go to Italy for a couple years. <laughs> Still a little nervous about it, to be so, quite honest. We were mostly vindicated. Me? I, I, you know, I'm like, like, I have to tell you. And I didn't ask for this. Amazing. Um, <laughs> I know. That threw you off your scent yeah. there. I'm trying to think what I would have done if I was him. You're on the boat. Everything's great. I'm with, what's the guy's name? Peter Kingsley Johnson? Peter Smith Kingsley. <laughs> Peter Smith Kingsley. I'm good. I found a guy. I have all Dickie's money. Everything's worked out great. But then it's like, oh, I see Kate Blanchett and I see the aunt who knows him. Yeah. So now I have two witnesses. I don't know. I think I would have I would have at least entertained trying to get rid of Kate Blanchett. What about just throwing aunt? her overboard? You know, just <laughs> like, hey! <laughs> Just, like, oh just right over. That's what, that's what happens to everyone else in this movie, yeah. except for Freddie Miles. And then he gets found. No, Marge. So. Marge gets out of it. Marge yeah, is about to buy. Everyone dies. I mean, yeah. Um, best quote, other than ones we mentioned. I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody. Do you mean lied about who you are? I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody. What are you talking? This is a great quote. No matter what you do, no matter how awful, no one ever thinks they're a bad person. It all makes sense, doesn't it? In your head, you never meet anybody who thinks they're a bad person. That's like a good quote. Mm-hmm. That'd be a good senior yearbook quote. That would freak everybody out in your class. Not something like, you want to put in What is going yearbook. on there? Yeah, you don't want to quote this movie in your uh, yearbook. 
Why is it when men play, they always play at killing each other? It's a great one. Come get him! Come get him! Tell me, why is it that when men play, they always play at killing each other? He's drowning me! He's drowning me! Yeah. We mentioned all the other ones. Um, could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix show? My first answer was, fuck yeah. I'd be in. 10 episodes? I'm hey, in Italy. Who are the stars? Well, they're remaking it. They're doing it. And Andrew Scott, Hot Priest, oh, that's right. is going to be Ripley. Hot Priest from, from Fleabag. Fleabag. Really? Yeah. yeah. I don't know that. I don't think Netflix? it's for Netflix. No, but for another streaming service. Yeah. It feels a little HBO max I think it's Amazon. Or maybe it is HBO Max. Um. Yeah, I mean, there are five Ripley books, right? So there's a lot of story to tell. Um, there have been four or five versions of the movie, so it's not like... I, also, con man stories are the best. Like, they're just very entertaining. Yeah. I feel like this movie is... It's still a little evil. Yeah. Like, following this person for ten hours is a little much. Well, I don't think he he would turn until, like, the fifth episode, oh, right? Oh, interesting. He'd probably go... Okay. Because there's be a difference normal. between, like... Yeah, because like that's what Breaking Bad does, right? Breaking Bad takes a long time before you're like, oh, God, Walt is a piece of shit. You know, when he kills Jane. I'm still in on Walt. What? Yeah. You think he was he, he was justified in everything he did? Yeah. Can't judge. Good guy? Can't G-G-T-K? judge from far away. Good guy to know? Don't know the choices he had to make. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Like okay. murder several dozen people? <laughs> well. Distribute drugs across the country? Yeah. It's a blemish. <laughs> okay. Fair I just want to update. No. It's a Showtime show. Uh, eight oh. episodes okay. uh, written and directed by Steven Zalian. Showtime. Oh, screenwriter of The Irishman. Yeah. yeah. One of the most appropriately linked movies of all time. Yeah. There you go. Showtime needs uh, something. Yeah. They're getting Ripley. Well, I'm excited for that. Unanswerable questions. Would you rather be with Marge or the cute Italian girl? This is just a fantasy. Why can't I answer Savannah. that as well? You can answer it. Um. Honestly, neither neither oh, one is so my. Boring. You're out on both. You're so boring. I love Silvana. Really? That's your pick, though. I I pick. I want to be with Marge. I think he was Marge handling is an it perfectly. Writer. Silvana looks like she cuts her hair with a rock. I'm just not into that. I liked how he. I think he was on the right path. On the right path yeah, of impregnating her. No, at that part, maybe not. <laughs> but he had Silvana. He was still playing his options. He had. He knew he was going to marry Marge. Sure, he was yeah. trying to sow his oats a little bit. It's the 1950s. Who's there to judge? And Clearly, Silvana kind of killed yeah. herself. Well, and then she, and then, and then he gets killed. So it went a little wrong. Right. The plan, it fell apart. Okay, but I think you're you saying know, he, for he 1950s, had good strat. 1950s Dickie, I think, was like, all right. And then obviously was had more than just those two too. He's a magnetic guy. He is a magnetic guy. He's a terrible person. Got to spread it around. I personally pick Literally. Marge. She can make a martini. Mm. Marge was great. She has, Marge. yeah, great style. She's a writer. She's a writer. Right. What, what kind of book was she working on? A novel, I think. Was it? I don't know. Definitely a bad novel. That's rude. Marge, I don't. I don't think she had a lot to say. She has like the most insightful observation. You were just like, this is the best quote. She's is just what writing Marge about says. like rich people in Italy. I don't know. Well, you li- that? okay? Me, you, <laughs> we are. We literally just did a whole podcast about it. <laughs> I think uh, she eventually ends up on Mad Men and gets involved with Don Draper for three episodes. I'm, I'm much more into the Kate Blanchett character. You yeah. Know? She has all the wealth, but also hates herself, you know? So there's a ton of vulnerability there. Well, she has that great moment when he first, when she first meets um, who she thinks is Dickie and she's complaining about some super rich thing. What does she, what does she say? She says something like... Uh, the bags. She's like, she has too many bags. You have to teach me how to pack so lightly. 
Or the, is it when they're in Rome at the Spanish Steps and she's like... The truth is that it, well, if you've had money your entire life, even if you despise it, which we do, agree, you're, you're only truly comfortable around other people who have it and despise it. I know. She basically comes in on, like, the Queen Mary, right? What's the name of that that ship that that they take when the right. driver is like, yeah, the, the Greenleafs know the owner of this giant mm-hmm. cruise ship. Amazing stuff. Do you think Dickie, my other unanswerable question, do you think Dickie ever, like, was like, eh, I'll hook up with Tom tonight? I think you're meant to think he, it's crossed his mind. Yeah. He's a sensualist. He right. wants to try everything. Right. Okay. Any other unanswerable questions? I don't know. Do you root for Tom? I just like the movie. I've seen it so many times. I'm not really rooting for anyone because okay. I already know it's going to happen. But in the in the moment, it is weird sometimes when you watch movies and you're rooting for bad people to get away. I mean, the ultimate example is natural born killers, right? Those are the worst people on the planet. You're like, oh, I hope they survive two more scenes. That's true. Just be rooting for them to be to be shot down by police. Well, the movie does something interesting that like pretty much no one in the movie, with the exception maybe of Marge, that is surrounding Ripley is a good person. Yeah, and so it kind of justifies some of the choices that he makes to the to the audience, even if they're still monstrous. Question I have for you guys is: Have you ever been a Dicky or a Tom in your life? Have you ever been a person that has a relationship with someone who looks up to you aggressively, and then you kind of are keeping them at bay, but also keeping them close? Or have you ever wanted to be someone so desperately? I feel like it's most likely you get to have these experiences as a, like a teenager. You know, when you, someone's a little older than you, right, right, right. they have more access to stuff than you understand. This is such a good question. When I was rewatching it, I was thinking a lot about the Ferrante novels. Do you guys know about those? My Brilliant Friend, yeah. which are set in, in Naples and are about essentially kind of a, a female version of this relationship minus the actual sociopathy or and the murder. Um, though actually I haven't finished the series, so maybe there is some murder and I don't know about it. No spoilers. Um, but that this idea of just being of one person in the relationship and the friendship being so obsessed with the other person. And I have basically always not been a huge fan of the Fronte novels because I just don't understand the dynamic at all. Mm. But there's like in that way, it's presented more as like this is what female friendship is like. And it's not what female friendship is like. That's not friendship. Just FYI. But in this movie, because it's shown to be unhealthy and the, this idea of obsession and longing and, and aspiration is shown um, to have disastrous ends for pretty much everyone. I don't, I relate to it more. I guess I, I don't know if I've ever been, I think for me, like my Dickies would be like Jude Law and like the people in movies. I really do mm. like see this as the, you know, kind of the way I'm fixated on like famous people and, and I guess to an extent, rich people and the people who can afford to go to Italy all the time. Those are the best movie characters, though, right? The people that are able to create this charismatic tornado that you just want to be a part of. Yeah. Over and over again. Those are the ones that we end up remembering. I just didn't expect Jude Law would be one of the ones that created it, right? Yeah, but he's just undeniable. Yeah. He's such a, he's such a perfect presentation, especially of like mid-century America, of like what people thought the idealized life was wealth, beauty, the ability to do anything that they want, but not choosing not to do anything. I feel like so many people just fantasize about the idea of like when I'm retired at 32, you know, right. they just mm-hmm. want to get away and be done with stuff. And he has chosen that path specifically of just going to bed with beautiful women, listening to jazz music, sailing. That's his life. I had one more unanswerable question. Do you think the name Marge is ever going to come back? 
No, I, I feel like The Simpsons pretty much ended that. The Simpsons ruined Marge. Well, not ruined it, but there's only, I think we only have one association with Marge now. It's hard to overcome that. How about Maud? I, that, that one's tough. It's a, Judd Apatow tried. He, yeah. He did a mod. I've always liked mod. Because I think having gone through, now that my kids are older, um, but there was this this kind of generation of names that every all the same kids have in whatever class you have. But there's an Olivia and an Ava and an Eva and all these names mm-hmm. that nobody had when like we were growing up. And I'm wondering now if people are going to go back further and go into the Marge. Well, I've always kind loved- Kind of the old 20s and 30s names. I've always loved Margot. I think that's Margo. a great name. And that then, one's in there, though. That's in the rotation. People use that, yes. Yeah. So we, we have a friend who has a Margo. Margo. Um, yeah. But Margo is also Gwyneth Paltrow in Tenenbaums. She's a Margo. And there's something hip about that. Marge, that's not hip. The move is Jenny. Jenny's ready for a comeback. Jenny? Mm. Jenny. There's Spoken no like Jenny's. a true Massachusetts there's no, guy. There's no Jenny's under age 15. <laughs> there were so many born between 1970 and number 1990. Number one name, right? Yeah. Jenny and Michael, I just feel like I knew a thousand of them. Yeah. I feel like this is just your Forrest Gump coming through. What do you mean? The, the Jenny and Forrest Gump character. No, Jenny's yeah. going to come back. Yeah. It should come back. I don't know. Jenny, everyone was named Jenny for 20 years. And then everybody's like, no more Jennies. And there is not, my kids have not been in a class for 14 years that there was a Jenny or a Jennifer. Can I which tell you is what, crazy. what I want to come back is what? Dickie. Dickie. When are we getting Dickie back in the mix? You, I don't know great. anybody named Dick. I don't know a single Dick. I don't know a Richard or a Dick. I only know under Dickie Barrett. Because I think Dickie now Barrett. you're not allowed to like give kids any names with like obvious bullying uh, possibilities. Oh, we you have Richie, Richie here at the Ringer. We, but nobody has ever called him Dickie. Well, let's start calling him Dickie. And see how it goes. <laughs> I'm sure he'll love it. <laughs> Shout out to who, uh, who won the movie? Tough, tough one. I think it has to be Jude Law. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of how I feel too, but it's amazing because Damon, this is such an important performance for his career and he's, you know, top five actor of the last 25 years and he doesn't win this movie. Right before we jumped onto this podcast, Kate Hallowell saw I was going into the podcast studio and she was like, are you going to do Talented Miss Ripley? You're going to talk about just how incredibly hot Jude Law is in that movie. That is the lasting impression of the movie. Yeah. And also the movie's never the same after he leaves. It's true. That's right. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Great, great job by him. Little Sonny Corleone-ish. I think The Godfather recovered pretty well. It did, I think but it's I'm o- saying I think like same okay kind of, dies. he dies and it's like, oh man, really? That guy's going to be gone now? Yeah, no, it's true. It's you don't true. get to hang out with him anymore? That's how you know you're a charismatic actor when yeah. you get gunned down halfway through. Yeah. Amanda, Sean, pleasure as always. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Stay tuned. We have one more. We're sneaking in right before the end of the year. It is a trilogy. We did three movies selected by a famous person who then sat down and did those movies with us. All three of them. It is a person you will not expect. It is a truly famous person who is very important to this podcast. I'll leave you hanging with that. Uh, Merry Christmas.